0: It's now that time in the show where I get to sit down with an influential voice in the city and get their thoughts on all things Toronto as well as what they do so well. Today our guest is Sophia Apostol. Uh, she joins me now. She's a professional certified leadership coach and host of the Fat Joy podcast. Welcome Sophia.
1: Hi, Maggie. Lovely to be here.
0: Thanks for being here. It's a gloomy, but I will say beautiful day in Toronto because there was no snow on the ground. I was I don't just going to
1: say, it's not snowing. <laughs> right? We're happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So what do you jo- enjoy about Toronto around this time of year?
1: Hmm... I, well, now that it's starting to warm up, it's basically just being able to go outside. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this was a really, really hard winter and we really, we recently moved um, outside, a little outside of Toronto, we're in Acton and we got so much snow. Yeah. Like it was unbelievable. So now I basically, like even this morning I was out on the front porch, just being able to to breathe warmer air (laughs) like anything outside so conservation areas patios kind of the regular outdoor stuff that we love doing
0: love it love it Mm -hmm. uh tell me about yourself how did you get into the world of coaching and what does that look like for you
1: yeah well i got into it because i in my career which was um i kind of went back and forth between academia and sales um, I had a lot of terrible managers, Maggie, like mm. <laughs> lots of bad managers. I was in my 20s and wanting to, you know, really grow and lead teams and I was super ambitious. And I just, and then I started to manage teams and I realized I really haven't had good examples of how to grow people that is different from a very kind of like, do this because I said so, because I'm the boss Mm -hmm. kind of style. Mm -hmm. And then one of my friends, Sabrina, who I think is listening now, so shout out to Sabrina, Sabrina. um, (laughs) um, was doing a coaching program and asked if I could be one of her practice clients, basically, you know, be her guinea pig. And I said, sure, I'd never had coaching, never even heard of coaching before. And we, I was at a point, I was probably early thirties and I was just like, what am I doing? Like I, there's things that I love, but I don't know if I feel like I'm really, I'll use the words that I know now at the time I just felt like I'm stuck. But what <laughs> I know now is I was feeling like I didn't really know what my direction was. What was my purpose? What was I working towards? And so we had this session and she asked me this question that I have never forgotten. It's now been, you know, 10, 15 years later, which was, um, cause we'd been talking and, she said, well, what would it mean to you to live from a place of purpose?
0: Oh, and that's And I started good.
1: bawling. I like I'm tearing that's up thinking about it question. right now because I thought, oh, my God, I've never I had done th- tons of therapy and stuff like that before, but I'd never been asked and given the permission to think about that I get to choose my purpose and I can design it and I can give myself permission. Mm -hmm. Like it was just life-changing that one question. I thought, Ooh, this is good. I need to do this. So, um, and I thought I could bring this to my teams you know, I can bring this to the work that I do um, in sales. And so, yeah, so I signed up for the coaching program, it was a year and a half intensive, it was wonderful. And then I did a year long leadership development program, then I did a neuroscience and coaching program. So I just drank the Kool-Aid in the best way. And it really changed how I live my life and how I interact with people. Um, And I've just basically kept doing it since then that was in like 2014. So it's been about t- almost 10 years, 10 years now as wow. well. Yeah.
0: Now you've gone through a lot in your life and, you know, I was looking at your website, mm, you know, you went through mm-hmm. divorce, miscarriage, uh, illness, step parenting, eating disorders, bankruptcy, how have yeah. all of those life experiences helped you to yeah. be the, a, a great coach. Yeah.
1: I forgot that's all on the website i'm glad you reminded me (laughs) um i'm glad it is because because i i get it Mm. i get despair i get the dark night of the soul i get life just being like you know the rug being pulled out from under you and i remember moments where i was just kind of standing shell-shocked going oh my goodness what like what now, where do I go? There's no direction, there's nothing I can do. So I think all those experiences allow me to really hear and meet clients where they are because we've all had moments like that, right? Um, And I also am, and this might be surprising to say because these were really painful experiences, but I'm also so grateful for them because I know unequivocally that no matter what life throws me i can handle it Mm. because not only not just because i'm a super person or superhuman or anything like that that's not it but because i have been through stuff Mm -hmm. i have developed resilience i have tools to support myself i have i've built and cultivated a chosen family who is my support system so there's i think when we're when we get thrown really tough stuff not in a toxic positivity way i'm not saying this but we do have a choice we can make we have little tiny baby choices little steps that we can take towards the way we want to show up and the way we want to deal with them and i feel like i took a lot of tiny baby steps through those really hard things um, and learned a lot and i and i love bringing that to clients who are facing their own real challenges whether that's in life or in work or in you know any any aspect
0: and I think, you know, when you're looking for a coach, you want somebody who's lived life, who has experience, who has gone through a lot. Because as you said, like through that comes growth, evolution, knowledge. Um, talk to me about as your coaching leaders, especially that that they don't embody maybe the pain that they're going through and think, I'm a failure. I cannot lead because I'm going through X.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say out of, you know, there's kind of, um, no matter who I'm working with, whether it's a healthcare professional, or a government worker, or, you know, a VP at a big company, there's these kind of buckets of um, similarity mm-hmm. that, that they all all these leaders have um, an imposter syndrome, what you're naming like that, that kind of who am I to do this? How do I do this mm-hmm. is a really big one for a lot of people. Um, And it's, it, it, whether there's a challenge, like you mentioned, like in their personal life and it's showing up in work, the thing is, we're all, we're one being, right? We are holistic humans. So whatever is going on at work is going to have threads into our personal life and vice versa. So a lot of times when I work with people, I, we talk about, okay, so Let's pick some low-hanging fruit just to get some momentum going. So, if there's something going on at home that feels really, really hard, what's the thread of it that's showing up at work, right? So, for example, let's say they're they're having challenges with their partner. Okay, well, who's someone at work that has kind of got a little hot spot that's rubbing you the wrong way? What might be going on there? Why? And then that sometimes is easier to mm. work on than diving into, oh my God, is my marriage ending? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about your podcast. Uh, Mm, It's called uh, Fat Joy. Uh, The description reads, A Joyful Rebellion Against Anti-Fatness. What has it been like having open conversation about weight with others?
1: Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, So I have been fat my whole adult life. I have gone through a really big journey to release internalized fat phobia and anti-fatness kind of through the gates of the body positivity movement, which is really about love yourself, Mm -hmm. into then past that, which is often the journey a lot of people take, into fat liberation, which really focuses on the systemic oppression of marginalized people. And I don't know if many people know this. I think you might be interested, Maggie, Mm -hmm. is that the... the anti-fatness, fat phobia, weight cycling, weight stigma, all of these things that are related to how we treat fat people poorly is rooted in racism. Hmm. Explain this. Yeah, yeah. So it really started when um, the North American, or what's what's it called? The Uh, colonizers basically Mm -hmm. who were coming to North America, I think this is like 17th, 18th century, Mm -hmm. these early colonizers were bringing enslaved people to North America and they wanted to differentiate themselves as morally and ethically superior to the mostly black people they were Mm. enslaving. So body size and skin color were really easy ways to do that. Mm. So this is where this beauty ideal of the thinner you are, the whiter you are, the better you are comes from, Yeah. yeah. So, and there's so much research on this. If people are curious about that, I really suggest you read a book called Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. Mm -hmm. So, um, so my own journey to figuring out how to just stop torturing myself, Mm. torturing my body, I would weight cycle up and down a hundred pounds over and over because I'm an overachiever. So I was like, I'm going to do it. But the thing is weight cycling is actually one of the worst things we can do for our bodies which i didn't know and a lot of people don't know so there was just all this like revelatory information that i started getting when i started looking deeper into systemic oppression when i started to understand that so much of this is driven by capitalism because hello you're struggling with your body let me sell you something the diet industry is 70 to 90 billion dollars like it is it is good it is set up perfectly so all of that journey led to a lot of rage i don't know if you can relate i don't know if listeners can relate but when i look around the world i'm like oh my god misogyny transphobia um ableism late stage capitalism that is so extractive like i was just as the kind of the unlearning started to happen i was just filled with rage and Mm. i thought I need to do something about this. What will my version of activism be? Um, and I'm a talker and <laughs> I love talking to people. And I thought, oh, I will do a podcast. And I was searching for a name and I thought, but I'm filled with rage. So I should probably do a podcast about joy. So mm. let me like look. And I went to Google and I typed in fat joy and even in quotes, like yeah. to like exact phrase it. And Google came back and was like, did you mean fat Joe? And I thought, no. <laughs> I did not mean fat Joe, there was no fat joy.
0: So it was yours, yours for the taking.
1: Oh, I took it, yes. <laughs> but I was also, again, furious that there was no results mm. for anything connected to joy and fat bodies. So yeah, so it's been incredible. I think the biggest surprise, I kind of created it because I'm, I'm fat, I interview fat people doing amazing things in the world. Yeah. We deconstruct diet culture and anti-fatness. Um, and I really made it for other fat people to not feel alone. And the biggest surprise has been so many non-fat people listen and write me and say, Oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Thank you. This is amazing. Yeah.
0: Sophia, talk to me about some of the assumptions as you're talking to your guests. Um, some of the assumptions people have about fat people, I think about, you know, this idea that You know, people, they have to be, they're probably unhealthy or, you know, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, just the assumptions that society has.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the health thing is one of the biggest ones. Um, The truth is that being fat doesn't mean that you're unhealthy. There's actually no condition, illness or disease that only affects fat people. Mm And at the same time, again, kind of pulling it up from the individual level to the systemic level, it is an ableist belief Mm -hmm. that we owe health to others. Mm. You know, health is so nuanced. What contributes to our health health is way more nuanced than diet culture and capitalism would have us believe. So like this whole idea of like, eat less, move more, and then you'll be healthy. That's not true. We can all think of people who, you know, who were what we would call, quote unquote, you know, by the societal societally determined ideals healthy, and they have a heart attack, or mm-hmm. they have cancer, or they die, you know, like, so right there, there sh- people should be questioning, because the reality is, and there, again, there's so much research about this, but it gets kind of uh, not, it doesn't get the headlines, because it doesn't make a lot of money, which is the truth is that there are over 220 determinants of health, things like genetics, mm. Um, Access to food, stress levels. Have you experienced trauma? Do you live in a marginalized body, you know? Like, so at the very most, they estimate that food and exercise is maybe 25 to 30% of what impacts our health. So it's not nothing, but this idea that we are fully in control of our health is just not true.
0: As I was preparing for your interview, I was thinking like psychologically that i i have been trained i will say this that fat is a bad word yeah yeah. and so i will think of you know using the term overweight or you know we use obese or things like that talk to me about using the word fat um in in the title of your podcast because i I think when i read it i was just like oh i i'm not supposed to say that that's a bad (laughs) word
1: I know. I love that it shocks people. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why it's a rebellion against anti-fatness. Yeah. So it, it's funny. In fat liberation circles, we call obesity the O word. We don't mm, use the O word. Because okay. it's, a, first of all, it's it's a made up thing, quite frankly, based on BMI, and if, yeah. which is basically junk science. Um, and there's there's a really great maintenance phase, which is a podcast episode about BMI. If you're curious to understand why the BMI is... Um, uh, I know I can't swear, but BMI is bad. Um, <laughs> check out that episode. I won't go all into it. Um, but yeah, so... The, the word fat, and actually the question that I ask every single guest on my podcast, the second question after they introduce themselves is, tell me about your journey with your relationship to the word fat. Mm. Because here's the thing, fat, like skinny, like thin, like brown hair, blue eyes, fat is just a descriptor. Mm-hmm. We have put on it a lot of feelings, we have turned it into a bad word, we have weaponized it, our society has weaponized it, but it's actually just a neutral descriptor. Um, So there's something about the process of reclaiming that word that fat people often go through. And this is why I ask my guests, like all I've done, 33 episodes are out, I've recorded like 50, but every single person talks about, yeah, I had to unlearn the associations with that word in order to reclaim it as a neutral descriptor of my body and that that gets to be okay wow yeah and you're right it's very shocking for people to hear and i mean i kind of love shocking people so i get a real kick out of it but it's deeper than that it's it's about a reclaiming of yeah i'm a fat person and so what so what
0: and there must be healing through being able to say that. So then when you see the rise in fame of people like Lizzo, Ashley Graham, and now the Canadian model Lauren Mm -hmm. Chan on the cover of Sports Illustrated, what does that say about the visibility and the discussion around uh, being fat? And is that enough for you? Is that enough? No, Yeah,
1: (laughs) but it's about time and no, it's not enough because um, I mean – so Lizzo is an amazing example. I I love Lizzo. I went to see Lizzo in concert. Again, my friend Sabrina, shout out. <laughs> um, and it was amazing. I've been to a lot of concerts and being in that stadium with the variety of people, the variety of bodies, the excitement was nothing that I'd ever felt before. It was like a stadium filled with self-love and radical self-love for everyone else. It was like, we were weeping. It was so beautiful. I'm getting choked up thinking about it because Lizzo, really, you know, that's a, that a lot of responsibility for Oak to carry. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it matters. Representation matters. Seeing people who look like us being successful matters because it allows us to dream. Isn't there that saying, like, you can't be what you can't see, I think is the saying. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's amazing that Lauren is on the cover. I love that she's Canadian. I love that she's queer. I love that we're having this conversation. And what I didn't love about that story, I have to say, is the quote that this assertion that Sports Illustrated is the arbiter of deeming, quote unquote, deeming what peak womanhood looks like. Mm. Come on. No, no, no. Sports Illustrated is a company that is selling magazines. Yep. You know, like, and, and Lauren is amazing. Ashley Graham's amazing. I've been following Ashley forever. Um, and they are what would be called like a, like, a pretty, like a small fat. They're probably like a size 14, 16. They're really on the low end of plus size. So they, in their bodies, experience discrimination, challenge, yes, but nothing compared to someone who might be like a size 26 mm-hmm. or someone even higher, like an fat. They can't go out in the world. The world is hostile towards them. So until we're actually talking about the full spectrum of body diversity, it's not enough. It won't be enough. Yeah.
0: yeah. I have two minutes left, Sophia, and I wanna mm. get I wanna pick your brain on But I want
1: an hour. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's why you're a podcast host, right? Yeah, you can, <laughs> it's true, it's true, long
1: form. But I want to <laughs> pick
0: your brain on Toronto and where it is yeah. now. What's your take on Toronto right now, with the mayoral election, all that's happening in the city? Uh, what are your thoughts about the city?
1: I mean, I it's this is a hard one for me because I love Toronto. Tur- I moved to Toronto when I was 24, mm. fresh out of my master's, and I always knew I wanted to live in Toronto downtown, and I got a little tiny bachelor um, on St. George Street in the Annex, and I was like, I have made it. I am <laughs> living it. Um, and so Toronto, like all the variety, all mm. the difference, all like just the the big mishmash of everything has always been such a joy for me, so exciting. Um, And I think with like other cities as we evolve, as we become more polarized, you know, um, it's, there are some challenges showing up and yeah, like it's, it's hard, I mean, I'm doing the Canadian thing in my head right now, where I'm like, <laughs> "At least it's not the U.S." And that's terrible right. because we have so many problems here as well. You know, but what's the, way the we one our- thing
0: that you're listening to? You know, the candidates as they're, you know, releasing their policies and their platforms. What's the one thing that's you know you're waiting to hear?
1: I really want to hear some serious stuff about climate change. Okay, I mean, I think because that is. That is beyond the individual level to make yep. a difference about. And I'm just quite frankly really disgusted with how corporations are just being allowed to do whatever yeah. they want to do. And I'm tired of it. And I'm it's I don't even it's it's so disheartening. I, I kind of have no hope, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling really, really <sighs> hopeless about it. Um because it's all driven by money and you know, people want to make lots of money. Businesses want to make lots of money, corporations. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I'm i kind of tongue-tied, I'm like, No, uh, yeah, I think that makes change. sense.
0: I mean, on this yeah. Earth Day, um, I right? know, started off the show saying, my kids, that's all they talk about is climate change. Yeah. And so this is an issue. It is yeah. in the faces of uh, yeah. generations, the next generation, and they want to see change. Sophia, it yeah. has been a delight to have you on. I hope you'll come back because it was lovely chatting with you. I would
1: love to. Thank you, Maggie. This has been a joy.